I'm excited about the Word. (laughs) I'll try that one again. I'm excited about the Word. Oh, you're going to make me work hard today. Exodus chapter 17, please. Exodus chapter 17. Verses 1 to 7. I'm sure you will recognize the story. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Interesting story, isn't it? Wish you were there? Parts of the story I'd like to be there and other parts of the story I wouldn't like to be there. What a miracle. Can you imagine enough water to come out of a rock to quench the thirst of over two million people and their livestock. That's no small geyser. Two million people, possibly three, we don't know, but at least two million people and their livestock And in this one act, there is enough water to quench everybody's thirst. Wow. How many will say, amazing? Absolutely amazing. Now, the children of Israel, as you can hear from this story, had a consistent problem. That problem is, they didn't know the character of this very powerful God 
that had so overwhelmingly rescued them from the cruel slavery of the Egyptians. They had seen Almighty Jehovah's power like no other generation in history has ever seen it. But they did not know his character, nor did they know his nature. And because they didn't understand his heart, they could not understand his commands either. They did not discern his compassion, neither could they discern his motives even though God had done such overwhelming things for them in Egypt and rescued them from Egypt, once they got out of Egypt, to them, every trial and every difficulty and every situation they faced was evidence to them that God had failed them. So they decided to take God to court. Decided to put God to the trial. Neither did they understand the significance of those momentous events when God decimated the nation of Egypt. They didn't understand what God was teaching them. They didn't understand the miracle of crossing the Red Sea. You should have been there to see it. You really should have been there. You should have walked through on dry ground. That big wall of water there. That big wall of water on this side. And you're thinking to yourself, what's holding that up? Somebody says, I don't know, but please keep moving. <laughs> you should have been there to see the outstanding miracle. They missed the significance of their deliverance. They missed the significance of the ten plagues. They missed the significance of the crossing of the Red Sea. Now God was giving them object lessons because the Egyptians had their own gods and the Egyptians believed that their gods created the heavens and the earth and created humanity. Uh, they even believed that Pharaoh was God. He was the son of God. He was no mere man, but Pharaoh was supposed to be God, a son of God. And through these ten plagues, God was overthrowing everything that the gods of the Egyptians ever represented. I mean, everything. Their false religion was shown to be a sham. That God was demonstrating that Pharaoh was not a god, but he was a mere man who lacked power, who even had to go to Moses for help. God was showing that he was humiliating all the, the priests and the magicians and the religious functionaries who were part of the administration of this nation called Egypt. He was redeeming Israel, intending to impress upon them all of these lessons. But you know what? They never understood a single thing that God had done for them. They had seen His power. They had seen the demonstration of power like no generation in history has seen it. But they didn't understand the significance and what God was trying to teach them. I wonder, are we any better? I wonder. 
You see, in Exodus chapter 7 to Exodus chapter 12, you have the complete destruction of the nation of Egypt. I want to show you how the ten plagues was the creation story of Genesis 1 in reverse. Because the Egyptians claimed their gods created. You know on day number one, God said, let there be light. And light came out of darkness. Do you remember what the ninth plague was? Remember what the ninth plague was? Darkness upon the nation. Remember that? Do you remember on day number two, God said, let the waters separate from the waters. Do you remember that? Let there be a separation of the waters. Do you remember what the first plague was? What God did to water? Do you remember the water turned to blood? Do you remember on day three, let the dry land appear? Do you remember the creation of vegetation on that third day? What happened in the seventh plague and what happened in the eighth plague? The hail and the locusts. All the vegetation of the land was destroyed. Do you remember what happened on day four of creation? The creation of the sun and the moon and the stars and the luminaries. Do you remember that? I repeat, do you remember what the ninth plague was? The darkness. Do you remember what happened on the fifth day? God created the birds and God created the fishes. Do you tell me what happened in plague number one and plague number two? Fish were destroyed. Here a frog, there a frog, everywhere a frog, frog. You should have been there for that one. No, you shouldn't have. <laughs> but the death of all that, the, the birds and the frogs and the... Remember what the day six was? God created the land animals and He created man. Listen to what happened in plague number three, number four, number five, number six, number ten. The lice, the, fly, the, the flies, the plague on the livestock, the boils, the death on the firstborn. Everything that was created on the sixth day was destroyed in those plagues. And what you have in those ten plagues, I will call it the decreation of all the Egyptian religion. God said, you claimed it? You say you created it? I'll show you who created it. And he destroys everything that the Egyptians would have believed. He reverses the story of creation in those ten plagues. But even with all of those plagues in front of their eyes on behalf of Israel, as the religion of Egypt was, was demolished and destroyed, somehow in that lesson, Israel missed out this truth that the gods of Egypt are no gods at all. Even though they saw that power, it didn't dawn on them that the gods of Egypt were no gods at all. But surely, through this experience, every myth and every lie that ever controlled their lives for the past four centuries has been totally ripped apart before their eyes 
But somehow the truth didn't hit the depths of their hearts. And then after they came out, in Exodus chapters 13, 14, and 15, were about to cross the Red Sea. They failed to see the significance of those events. Why did God have a pillar of fire to lead the people? Why did He separate the waters? Why did He give them dry land to walk across? Why didn't He take them around the sea? Why did He take them through? What was the significance of that? It's because just as He decreated Egypt, He's now going to recreate Israel. Now listen, because in day number one, let there be light. And how does God start the Exodus story? There's a pillar of fire to give them light in the darkness. In day number two, when he separated the waters, let the waters be separated from the waters, what happened at the Red Sea? But there was the separation of the waters. What happened on day three? Let the dry land appear. Could you tell me what they walked through on? On dry ground. You see, in in Deuteronomy 32, when it describes, in verses 10 and 11, when it describes the nation being delivered from Egypt, it says in those words that God, like an eagle, hovered over the people. Doesn't that sound familiar? In Genesis, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And what you have here is the decreation of Egypt, but also you have the recreation of or the creation of the people of God. The creation of Israel. Israel was experiencing the story of creation. God was making them a new creation by, doing, by delivering them the manner. He's just following the creation story yet again. But you know what? Somehow they missed it. Anybody here going to confess? I've never seen that either. I've never seen that either. The significance of these events. And we miss the importance of them. Just like the disciples. Just like the multitudes in the desert. Who only saw bread and fish multiplied. They couldn't see that it was a picture. They couldn't see that it was a sign. Jesus was going down to Jerusalem. Not to be crowned a king that they wanted. But he was on his way to Jerusalem to die. And by that Passover meal. His body would be broken for the redemption of all. And in the wilderness when he multiplied bread. And when he multiplied the fish. He was demonstrating what he was really going to do down in Jerusalem. His body was going to be broken for all, but they missed it. All they saw was bread and fish multiplied, and they had a full belly, and they missed the significance of what Jesus did. Just like when the Pharisees couldn't understand, couldn't see that Jesus was God when he healed on the Sabbath because he was greater than the Sabbath. They couldn't catch it. They couldn't see it. How they missed all of these things. The truth is this, is that we are blinded by our culture. Blinded by our culture. I encourage everybody to go on a cross-cultural mission somewhere in this world. Somewhere totally different than what you grew up with. 
And it will be great revelation to see how restricted we are in our thinking and how we see things and view things and understand things. The fact is we are blinded by our culture. And our concepts of God are blinded by our own culture. We tend to judge God according to the way we were brought up. Since I was brought up this way, God must be like that. What do you think? Can't shiggy and off in church, can you? It's not the culture I grew up in. We are blinded by our culture. The fact is this, when God doesn't act according to our expectations, we pass judgment on God. We can only see what we're used to. And Israel was only used to seeing Egypt. And even though they saw the power of God, they judged God according to their Egyptian understanding of how God was supposed to behave. Mm, Interesting, isn't it? Now, the bare fact is this, that Israel doesn't know its own God who so powerfully delivered them from oppression. They think that in nature, that he is no different, that the God who delivered them is no different than the cruel Egyptian gods under whom they had suffered for centuries. Listen to their complaints against God. Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. After they have been brought out of Egypt, before they crossed the Red Sea, They are camped with their backs against the sea, mountains on either side, and the Egyptian army decides it's going to come after them. Listen to their confession. Listen to what they said to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Why have you done, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Who do they think God is with such a statement? Listen in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 25. After the Red Sea, they come to a place called Marah. And the water is bitter and they can't drink it. Listen to what do they say. What are we to drink? Go to chapter 16 of Exodus, verse number 3. There's no grocery store out there in the wilderness. Nothing. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. I doubt that was a true statement, but it's amazing what people say when they're angry. I doubt that was a true statement. Oh, we, 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 we ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Chapter 17, verse 3, which we read already, at Rephidim there's no water. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Do they really believe what they're saying? Who do they think God is? 
Apparently, they think God is cruel. They think he's just another cruel God like the Egyptian gods. The Egyptians' gods were cruel to us, and this God who took us out is even crueler. Because he takes us out with power just to kill us off in the wilderness. They don't know the significance of what has happened to them. They could not see how God destroyed the creation story of the Egyptians. They could not see that their deliverance was the creation story happening a second time as God gave them light and parted the waters and let dry land appear. As the Spirit of God hovered over them. They're not getting the clues. They could only think of God in terms that they had grown up with and they had only grown up with Egyptian gods. Scripture testifies many, many times that this unbelieving generation that came out of Egypt continually, and I mean continually, put God to the test. Put Him on trial constantly. When God delivered us, in the manner in which he did. Bring it up to our experience. When God delivered us in the manner in which he did, did we fail to see that he saved us in such a way, and everyone has our personal story, that he saved us in such a way that deconstructed everything that ever controlled your life before? deconstructed everything in your life that used to control you before. In the manner in which He saved us, do we fail to see that He has started a new creation? Old things are passed away. He's actually started a new creation. In Exodus chapter 15, when the first time they complained, they got to the bitter waters of Marah. Did they miss the significance of why God took them to bitter waters? Why would God take people to bitter waters as soon as he delivers them from Egypt? Because there is a lesson, there is significance there. Because their life back in Egypt was nothing but bitter. They had only known bitterness for more than four centuries. And God wants to give them a lesson as soon as they get out of Egypt that God has the ability to change the bitterness into sweetness. There's the first lesson He wants to give them. They don't catch the significance of the story. They're just complaining, you're just a bitter God like the other bitter gods. You remember the story? They complain. And Moses, God says to Moses, take that piece of wood and throw it into the water. And the bitter waters are made sweet. That wood must be the cross, don't you think? When the cross is applied to the past of your life, I have good news for you, church. The bitterness is exchanged for sweetness. He doesn't just heal the waters. He heals you in the process. But they didn't get the significance of it. They couldn't understand the object lesson that God was giving them. It just went right over their heads. God is able to change bitterness to sweetness. And they had four centuries of it. But through the cross. Come on. 
through the cross, the bitterness of their past is exchanged for sweetness. Aren't you glad you know Jesus? In Exodus chapter 16, they didn't get this business of no bread in the wilderness. Brought us out here to starve, to die. They didn't get it. They didn't get that bread would come from heaven. Where did it come from? Did it come from the earth? Where is the source of this bread? It came from heaven. What a picture of the bread of heaven coming down. And you know Him by the name of Jesus. That He came in the flesh. That the incarnation of Christ is there to feed His people. They didn't catch it. In Exodus chapter 17, they're thirsty. They don't get it. They don't know what happens when you strike a rock. They don't get it. Here is the truth that so many people have difficulty with. Every test, every challenge, every trial, every difficulty you and I face in life is an object lesson. Some nervous smiles out there. Every challenge, every test, every trial is an object lesson for us. Because what God intends us to do is learn to reach out to Him so He can reveal Himself in new ways to us that in which ways we never knew Him before. If that's the truth, dare I say, bring on the test. Every challenge is an opportunity for you to know something about God that you didn't know before. So what? There's no food out there. Doesn't make any difference if you know God. Because you discover He can create jobs where there are no jobs. Isn't that the truth? If there's nothing to drink, so what? If it's just bitterness that you know, so what? You're going to make a discovery that God can take bitterness and turn it into sweetness. Every test and every challenge is intended to lift you out of the culture in which your brain and mind is soaked in by this world view which you can't help but look at everything through those eyes. Every challenge is intended to lift you out of that environment that you grew up with and see God in completely different perspective. And that comes through challenges in life. Because God will not be contained within your culture. He will not be conditioned by the way you were brought up. He didn't grow up in that culture. Every test is intended to lift us out of our worldview to get a greater revelation of who Jesus is. He's a big God, folks. He is a massively big God. Our world is small. But He is a big, big God. 
You see, even when they came out of Egypt and Moses went up the mountain, remember that they, in Exodus 32, they made a golden calf? Why did they do that? Were they trying to serve foreign gods as soon as they get over the Red Sea? No, the fact is, they were scared of hearing God themselves. Remember at the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai? They heard the voice of God and they said, We can't handle this. We can't. Moses, you hear God yourself and then you just tell us what He said. We don't want to hear the voice of God. Do you remember that? And you remember God said to them immediately, Don't you make any idols out of silver or gold? Have you ever wondered why? After they just heard that, after the story of crossing the Red Sea, after seeing what they saw, have you ever wondered why they could so quickly go ahead and make a golden calf? Have you ever wondered why? Well, they can hear God for themselves. They say, we don't want to. Moses, you just tell us what he said, because we don't have to deal with them ourselves. You just tell us what he said. And now Moses was up the mountain and he was gone, and it didn't seem he was coming back. And their cruel minds, their minds that were thinking all gods are like Egyptian gods, they were thinking God must have killed them up there. He's not coming out. And they don't know how to communicate with God. And so they go back to their old culture that they were brought up in. And so this is how the Egyptians did it. And they had a creator God, and their creator God was a bull. Powerful horns and powerful ability to reproduce. And that was their creator God. Powerful reproduction and powerful power. And so their, God, their creator God was definitely the bull. And they tried to make God out in an image that they thought He was. We're constantly reducing God to images that we know. But I've got news for you. God cannot possibly be reproduced to anything you know. I'll say it again. God cannot be reduced to anything you and I know. Not possible. So Aaron makes this golden calf and then he says, and tomorrow we're going to hold a feast to the Lord. As if somehow this image was a representation of the Lord. Had they failed to see how God destroyed all the gods of Egypt, why would they do this? They don't know how to relate to God whatsoever. In Exodus chapter 17, they're going to take God to court. This is a court scene. This is a legal, judicial story in Exodus chapter 17. I want to read it again. Verses 1 to 7. I want to point out some things to you as we read this story. They're taking God to court. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put God to the test? That word quarrel there does not just mean we're having an argument. What that word quarrel means is I am going to file a complaint. I'm going to sue 
somebody. I'm going to contend. I'm going to take the court, the case to court, and I'm going to plead my case. That's what the word quarrel means. They're going to put God, take him to court, take him to trial. Now God, along with his servant Moses, is being accused of not being faithful to his covenant. Look at the last part of verse 7. Their complaint against God is this. Is the Lord among us or not? Their complaint, when they came into challenges and trials and difficulties of life, their complaint was this. God is not being faithful to his covenant. They can't see that every test is intended to give them a greater revelation of who God is. And their response to being challenged in life is God is not being faithful to His Word. God's not being faithful to His covenant. They don't like being stretched by being tested. Every time they are challenged, they think God has abandoned them. Forgive me for the repetition. But they can't see that the purpose of every test is to lead people into an ever-increasing revelation of who God is. They don't get it. They don't get it. Now we continue to reading in verse number 3, verse number 4. It says, Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. That reference to stoning is not just mob violence. It's not just a crowd getting out of control. Stoning is the execution that takes place after a court case. It is a, it's capital punishment. And Moses says, They're going to accuse me of not being, you and me together, God, we're being accused here of not being faithful. They're going to pass sentence on us, going to take us to court, and they intend to stone us to death. It is an execution after a court case. It goes on to say, how does God respond? Verse number 5, go out in front of the people, Moses. I'm not so sure I would want it with knowing them that they're taking me to court and the death penalty is stoning and then God says, now take your place in front of them. Is an execution about to happen here. Is an execution going to happen. Moses, get out in front of the people where they all could take good aim at you. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Now, why are the elders? Because this is a court case, and we need witnesses, and we need judges. There's going to be a witness here, and there's going to be a judge. And sentence one way is going to be passed, guilty or not guilty. So some of the elders are gathered to act as witnesses. Moses is told to stand in front of the people. But here's the powerful stuff. It says, take with you some of the elders... And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. What staff is he supposed to take? What's the significance of the staff? We'll come to it in a second. But then more powerful than this, verse number 6. God says to this to Moses, I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Do we understand what's happening when God says that? 
God says, I'm going to stand there before you. In other words, I, the Lord God Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth, I, the Lord, who delivered my people with signs and wonders the world has never seen, I, the Lord, who destroyed all the myth that you've lived under for the last four centuries, I, the Lord God Almighty, who recreated you, coming out of Egypt like I created the heavens and the earth, I, the Lord, am going to take my place in the docket where the accused stand before the judge. I'm going to face the people to pass sentence on me. I will take the docket and stand in the place of the accused. My goodness. Moses is to take that staff. That's the same staff by which he struck the Nile River. And when that staff struck the Nile River, tell me, tell me what happened. Water turned to blood. Boy, whatever that staff touches brings a curse. That staff he threw on the ground. And what happened to it? Turned into a snake. Oof. That staff that Moses raised over the Red Sea. And what happened? The waters parted. And once on the other side, that staff he held over the Red Sea again. And what happened? The waters closed in upon the Egyptian army, drowning them. Take that very staff. It's a staff of judgment. Now God says to the people, take that staff, that staff of, that brings a curse, that staff of judgment. You put me in the dock. I'm standing on the rock. Now strike me with your judgment. Do you think I'm like other gods? Do you think I am cruel because you are tested in life? You accuse me of being unfaithful. You accuse me of being unloving, unconcerned, and uncaring. That's the accusation. Now take the staff and hit me with it. Hit me with it. So the staff is in our hands. And people are angry because they're tested with trials in their life. You can hear the voice. God, where were you when? God, why did you allow? God, don't you know? God, can't you see my pain? And in anger, people accuse God. God says, you can't see the signs that I've given you. Your eyes are blind, your ears are deaf. You can't see that every trial only serves to give you a greater understanding of who I am and what I could be for you. Instead, you choose to discredit my character with your accusations. You deserve to die for this. But I won't take you to court like you have taken me to court. Instead, I want to show you what's really in my heart. I have taken the position of the accused. 
I will take the punishment upon myself, the very punishment you deserve. Hit me and see what comes out. Hit me and see what comes. Hit me and see what happens. You will discover this when you break me, that my heart is nothing but a fountain of mercy. I will provide for you abundantly. Now go ahead and strike me and see what happens. Wow. What kind of a God is this? What is His character? And what is His nature? So what do you see? I'll tell you what I see. I see Jesus nailed to a tree. I see Jesus, God's only begotten Son. Who is this God? Let me tell you who this God is. He sent His only begotten Son to handle all the accusations the world wants to throw in the face of God, how God is not faithful. And He takes the place of the accused and he receives the judgment of this world this is our God I remind you forgive me for the repetition but it's worth repeating in Exodus chapter 15 after they crossed the Red Sea and they came to the bitter waters of Marah all they knew is that water was bitter they couldn't see the lesson that God wants to turn their bitterness into sweetness. God will redeem your past. Come on. God will redeem your past. No matter what your past was, how difficult, how bitter, how awful, how cruel, how torturous, how addictive your past would be, the good news is this. When you can come to God and experience the power of the cross and the bitterness is exchanged for sweetness. But they only learn that in trial. See, you don't get this stuff by book knowledge. It comes through testings in life. It doesn't come with book knowledge, folks. It comes with having to prove God for yourself when you're crushed in the test of life and you discover that God reveals Himself to you. God speaks to you. And that's how you learn. The bitterness of your past is exchanged for the sweetness of the cross. That is our God. That's His nature. This is our God in Exodus chapter 16. What are we going to eat? There's no store around the corner. Matter of fact, there's not even a corner in this wilderness. Nothing here. What are we going to eat? This is our God. He gives bread from heaven. The Son of God took on human flesh. He is the bread from heaven. And He gives His body. And He gives His life to be broken for us. And in His brokenness, we are fed daily. This is our God. His broken body is food for me every day. This is our God. Exodus chapter 17, what we just read. This is our God. 
He takes the place of the accused. And he allows all the judgment due to us to fall upon him. And when he's struck with our judgment, what comes out but mercy for those people who just struck him? Come on now. This is our God. I see Jesus on a cross and he was struck. And when he was pierced in the side, out came blood and water. Grace abounds in response to our complaints. All I can go is hallelujah for that. Grace abounds for my misunderstandings. Grace abounds when I accuse God of not being faithful to me because I'm not healed instantly or the miracle isn't there instantly or why did you allow this and what's the purpose of this and why this trial and why this challenge? It's because God wants to give us a greater revelation of who He is. Hallelujah. A greater revelation of who He is. Jesus is our rock. From Him pours forth the forgiveness of our sins. From Him pours forth the mighty Holy Spirit. From Him pours forth everything we need for our journey right through all of life, right till we get to our inheritance, right till we get to our promised land. I have a destiny, folks. I am a joint heir with Christ. The end of the story is glory. And He provides for me every step of the way, and every challenge and every difficulty. It's just intended for me to get my faith deeper in Him in a greater revelation of who He is. And God is always greater than every test that He ever permits. That is our God. In Exodus chapter 14, He is the Exodus. He has overcome. This is good news, folks. He has overcome and He has debunked all the gods of this world that have ever exercised any authority over your past. That's good news. He's debunked them. He's decimated them. He has destroyed everything that ever had control in your past. He has ripped apart all their myths. The world has lied to you and lied to you and lied to you and lied to you. And He has thoroughly destroyed all their myths. He is not like anything you served in the past. The same power that was there on day one, let there be light. The same power that was there in day two, separate the waters. The same power that was there, let the dry land appear. That's the same power that God is at work in your heart and in your life because He intends after He debunks all the myths you grew up with, He intends with the same power to make you a new creation. That is our God. He's opened up a new life for us. He has separated us from our bondages. He drowns our enemies in the sea behind us. He makes everything new. This is good news. He makes everything new. This is our God. He's not 
like the Egyptian gods. But listen carefully. He is instead compassionate. Come on. Let me describe to you who this God you will discover through the test of your life. Let me describe to him to you. Moses said, show me your glory. Listen to the answer. You're going to discover, in spite of how we view the difficulties, he's compassionate. He's gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. He's kind. Long-suffering. Come on. Full of goodness. He is the truth. He maintains love to thousands. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is our God. He is nothing like anything we could ever encounter or experience in this world. Don't limit Him to your concepts you grew up with in your culture. He's too big for that. He's too big for that. He's not like anything you have ever known. He's not like anything you have ever known. And God wants you through these tests to lift you out of your world into the vastness of the Spirit of God. The vastness of the kingdom of heaven. God is not like anything you have ever encountered. He's far exceeding abundantly above it. Well, what kind of a God is this? When the accusing world strikes him with the full force of judgment, he bleeds life for the very people who strike him. Wow. This is our God. This is who we serve. This is who we worship. This God who has destroyed every myth that's controlled my life in the past. This God who makes me a new creation. And this God who leads me, yes, by trial, leads me to further and greater and greater and greater and ever-increasing revelation of who He is. And we discover this, that the God we accuse is nothing like we accuse Him of. But He's a great God. He's a great God. Let me say it one more time. When you strike Him, He bleeds life for you. That is our God.